May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. When I first read the text for today's readings, I thought it would be a wonderful opportunity to share the godly play version of the Good Shepherd story with you all. Godly play is a spiral curriculum, meaning there are core stories at its heart, and all the other stories are rooted by key themes in these central stories. The three central stories in Godly Play are the story of the Holy Family, the story of Jesus as the light of the world, and the story of the Good Shepherd. Given the warm reception I've gotten from the other times I've told Godly Play stories in church, I thought it would be a great opportunity to do so again today. However, as I was rehearsing the story, I was struck by how some of the more disturbing elements of the texts, particularly of the gospel readings, were taken out of the godly play story. These choices make sense, as godly play is designed to strengthen the inner spirituality of a child, particularly those of young children. Dr. Lisa Miller, a child psychologist and expert on the science behind spirituality, defines spirituality as an inner sense of relationship to a higher power that is loving and guiding. The word we give to this higher power might be God, nature, spirit, the universe, the creator, or other words that represent a divine presence. But the important point is that spirituality encompasses our relationship and dialogue with this higher presence. When helping children, especially young children, develop the fundamentals of their faith, it is important to strengthen their trust in God or whatever they choose to call this higher power. And godly play endeavors to do that by focusing on the images of God as family in the Holy Family, God as loving protector, as in the good shepherd, and God as good, as in God is the light of the world. Sometimes when we face hardships or when life throws us a curveball that rattles us to our core, we find ourselves needing to reconnect with the spirituality of our childhood. Perhaps this is one reason why the 23rd Psalm is so dear. Many of us learned the Psalm, especially in the King James Version, in Sunday school while we were young. And we go back to it when we feel that we are unnerved and unrattled because it reminds us that God cares for us and we are not alone in our troubles because God is with us. However, for many of us, our understanding of God or Jesus as our shepherd ends there. We don't wrestle with the more complex themes in the parable or either ignore or not take very seriously its warning. We also often forget that the story of the good shepherd is a parable and not an allegory. When we tell this story to children, we allegorize it in order to help nurture their innate spirituality, to help them trust that the higher power is good, 
loving and protecting. However, if all we know of the Good Shepherd is the allegorized version, we miss its complexity and we definitely do not hear its challenge. The word parable is split into two Greek words, para, for alongside, together with, as in parallel or paradox, and balo, to cast or to throw. They are stories cast alongside us to uncover the truth about familiar situations. These stories are often unsettling because they uncover truths about ourselves, society, and the nature of human beings that we would much rather not see or at least continue believing that those truths apply to others but definitely do not apply to us. So this is why I chose not to tell the godly play story today because I wanted to move beyond the allegory and wrestle with this parable and cast it alongside the world in which we find ourselves today. Since most of you are probably like me and have very little or no experience with sheep and shepherding, I spent some time reading about these animals. Here is what I learned. Sheep are timid and defenseless animals that are powerless against predators. They are easily frightened. If alone against a predator, a sheep will lie down and shiver. But if they are in a flock, they will scatter and sometimes they will run into an obstacle and pile up, causing some of them to smother. Although they are naturally gregarious, individual sheep will often wander off while grazing and get themselves stuck in precarious positions and they can't get themselves out. Sheep will blindly follow trails and in the absence of a shepherd to redirect them, will blindly follow any trail, even if the trail leads them to danger. Lastly, not all sheep are happy to follow. In every flock, there are multiple leaders who will help keep the flock in formation and tell the sheep to follow the shepherd's direction. There are those who have the need to be perceived as leaders without doing anything really. And there are also those who will want to separate from and start their own flock if the shepherd does not curtail them. Sheep are a domesticated animal that cannot survive on their own and need the guidance of a shepherd. Robert Moore, a nature writer, once joined the Navajo people to learn more about traditional shepherding practices. In his book, On Trails, he recalls the comical and terrifying experience of losing an entire herd of sheep on his first day. After a few weeks of learning to shepherd the old way, he says, shepherding, like any craft, is a skill acquired over a lifetime, or ideally passed down over many lifetimes. Over many years, shepherds and their flocks mold to each other. With time, humans weed out the sheep that refuse to follow by butchering them, and the sheep weed out the humans who are unfit to lead by driving them insane. Most important, 
I learned that whenever possible, a shepherd should attempt to bend the will of the sheep rather than break it. The shepherd is not the master of the flock. Instead, the flock and the shepherd are engaged in a continuous negotiation in turns pushing against each other and pulling together harmonious one moment and fractious the next. Unintentionally, Moore summarizes the entire relationship between Israel and God in the Hebrew Bible. God gets angry and occasionally weeds out the ones who are unfit to follow, and Israel tests God's sanity time and time again by not caring for orphans and widows and by praying to you and worshiping other gods. This push and pull relationship may be the reason why God decides to call himself the true shepherd of Israel. Alternatively, the patriarchs and matriarchs of the Israelites are also shepherds and shepherdesses. So for them, the relationship between God and the sheep, the people of Israel, easily parallel the relationship between them and their own flocks. Sheep were the livelihood and the inheritance and the capital of the ancient Israelites as the people of Israel were God's inheritance, God's capital, and God's livelihood. While God as shepherd is a common motif all throughout the Hebrew Bible, shepherds are also symbols for the leaders of Israel. In Ezekiel chapter 34, God lambasts the shepherds of Israel for not taking care of his sheep. The sheep are scattered and devoured by wild animals. And even the shepherds who are supposed to be taking care of the sheep, they are actually eating the very sheep they should be taken care of. God says, he is the true shepherd of Israel and he will rescue the sheep from their mouths and he will bring them to rich pastures, rescue them from all the places that they have been scattered in darkness and feed them by the watercourses of the mountains of Israel. Then after God has rescued his sheep, he'll separate the sheep from the goats from the sheep who obey and the sheep who destroy the pasture, from the sheep who have grown fat and the sheep who were starved. Then he will raise up a new leader in David who will work together with God to care for his sheep. Peppered throughout the entire chapter are allusions to economic exploitation of the people of Israel the failure of the leaders to provide basic care and protection, as well as a failure to meet the bare requirements expected of the leader. In this passage, it is strongly suggested that these failures are the reason why Israel was plundered and taken into slavery during the Babylonian exile. Many scholars think that Ezekiel 34, this text, is the backdrop for the Good Shepherd discourse in today's gospel. It was very familiar to Jesus's audience. So they probably had no trouble figuring out who the thieves, bandits, and hired hands were that either killed, destroyed, or abandoned the sheep. These leaders could have been the Jewish leaders appointed by the Roman Empire that amassed wealth and power while the rest of the people remained oppressed. They could be the hypocritical religious, religious leaders 
who preyed on the tithing of the widows featured in many of Jesus' stories. Or religious leaders who have cozied up to the Roman Empire. Or they could have very simply been hired shepherds. In the time of the patriarchs and matriarchs, most people looked after their own sheep. But in Jesus' time, shepherding families had moved into the city and started to hire people to take the sheep out into more rural areas to care for the sheep. And these hired hands were notorious for being untrustworthy because the sheep did not belong to them. While there are many parallels between the Ezekiel and John texts, there are also quite a few differences. One striking difference between the Good Shepherd text and the Ezekiel text is that in Ezekiel, God promises to raise a new human shepherd or leader for the flock. Whereas in the gospel reading, Jesus as God's self becomes the new leader. There is no promise for the restoration of the kingdom of Israel, but a hint of a promise for the kingdom of heaven. The weeding of the sheep from the goats doesn't happen in John 10. And while it does occur in Matthew's gospel, the writer of John says the good shepherd will gather all the flocks that recognize the good shepherd's voice into one flock. The parable doesn't go into detail of how the, the flock may recognize the shepherd's voice. Lastly, in John, Jesus not only calls himself the good shepherd, he also calls himself the gate. Not only is Jesus the shepherd who cares for the sheep, Jesus is also the means by which the sheep are brought in. It is very easy to read sacrificial theology into this passage. Not only does Jesus say he is the gate and any who enters by him will be saved, Jesus also says that he lays down his life for the sheep, unlike the hired hand who runs the moment he sees the wolf approach. However, I don't think that's what this text meant. As nowhere in the parable does it suggest that the sheep are sinful. The gate saves the sheep from thieves and bandits, from those who seek to steal and kill and destroy, not from sin or anybody's wrath for that matter. Moreover, while the laying down of one's life does evoke images of the cross, the motivation of the shepherd in this parable isn't related to sin. It is out of deep love for the sheep or maybe even a need to preserve the economic value that the sheep represents. That the good shepherd willingly puts his life at risk so that he can rescue the sheep. There are so many rich allegorical and theological ways to read these texts. Many have pointed out the parallels between the good shepherd and Jesus' death on the cross and others have compared elements of Psalm 23 to the sacraments of baptism and the Eucharist and last rites, which are all evocative and nourishing to our faith. But I think this parable also uncovers some truths about who we are and who God is.
So here are some of the conclusions that I have come to. People are very much like sheep in that we can be divided and consumed by fear. And worse, our fear can so easily snowball and consume others along the way. We sometimes follow trails blindly because that is all we know. And it is often to our detriment to stubbornly follow these trails. And we sometimes resist the shepherd's direction because we are terrified of the unknown. God does not want to break our spirits so we obey. And God does not wish to lord over us, but wants to bend our wills so that we are in sync with God's will. God enters into a push and pull contract with us, guiding and prodding us along to good pasture and water. And even though we easily scatter, we easily get lost, and we easily become prey to thieves and robbers and wild animals. God doesn't abandon us and goes to every dark corner to gather us up all so that we are all together with God again. And lastly, the type of shepherd and leadership will determine the fate of the sheep. They will either be saved or they will be scattered and left in the dark. In our current crisis, we are seeing many types of shepherds. Some have become like vultures and turned the crisis as an opportunity to feed on and prey on the sheep. And some have become like the good shepherd who lay down their lives by putting themselves in harm's way either out of love for their sheep or maybe a need to maintain their livelihood or maybe both. So I wonder, as you reflect on the many layers of this parable, what kind of shepherds do you see? I wonder who are the thieves and the bandits and the hired hands Whose voices should we ignore? I wonder, do you like being compared to sheep? No. <laughs> I wonder, what does it mean to wrestle and to continuously negotiate with God? I wonder, how will we recognize the voice of the Good Shepherd? Amen. 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 That's great.